to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody is doing well. I am one of your hosts. I am Jordan Porter, joined by the amazing Yvonne Brandenburg. What's up, girl? Hi. Hi, how are you? Yeah. (laughs) Same girl, same. Right? (laughs) You know the feeling. We all know the feeling. Eh feeling (laughs) well hopefully not too many people know this feeling because well i'm sure at some point you've known the feeling but yeah it's like the technically i feel fine but like eh. (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's for that's you definitely unfortunately which is a bummer i got the i got the post-conference covid yeah that was my take home last week i can't believe it's been over a week like time flew by because of craziness and being sick and like I I feel like I lost a week of my life (laughs) yeah I get that as well plus it's been (sighs) like we've been we've been busy trying to like prepare for things and like Uh uh-huh and get our stuff in order (laughs) yeah yeah so on that note um (laughs) first things starting off uh, next month's monthly CE for our membership site, but everybody's invited. If you guys want to join, uh, we're going to be talking about pancreatitis on Saturday, October 21st at 1130 AM Pacific standard time, 2:30 PM Eastern standard time. Um, if Nothing you like a little pancreatitis right before Halloween. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so if you want to make sure that you get the invite for that, you can go to internal medicine for and sign up for the newsletter. You can find pretty much all of our events on our event page on internal medicine for vettex.com. Yep. Um, and then we have a conference coming up, Yvonne. I know this is, this is like a legit dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I mean, like we've, we've kind of alluded we've, to it. <laughs> yeah. We've alluded to it. We've talked about it a little bit, but now we're ready to like really talk about it. Yeah, so we're doing our inaugural Internal Medicine for Vet Techs conference, and we're so freaking excited. So this is going to be Sunday, November 12th, um, and we're starting at 7 o'clock in the morning on Pacific Coast, which is 10 East Coast. Um, And I don't even know what time it is in the UK. (laughs) I should ask Laura. Um, So, and then it's going to go until... Was it 3 30, 4 30, something like that? Um, but it's eight hours of race, well, pending race approval, because everything just got submitted, but it should be race approved by then. Um, eight hours of CE. Um, and we're super excited about it. Uh, let me by the way, um, so we have some guest speakers. I'm gonna, I gotta, dude, I'm so excited about these speakers. So hold on, let me. Let me make sure I get all my information so I don't <laughs> say it wrong. We have, of course, Jordan and I are speaking because, you know, we're, we'll be there. Um, but the amazing Tabitha Kusera, 
little VTS, VTS and behavior, um, you know, are from chirrups and chatter. She has her podcast. She's going to be doing a lecture for us. The wonderful Laura Jones from veterinary internal medicine, nursing. Um, she is joining us. I don't, again, I don't know what time it is in the UK, but she's joining us on UK time. <laughs> um, we have Kristen Freitas, who has her VTS in emergency and critical care. She'll be joining us. Um, and then let's see, uh, Jesse Laguna. She's, uh, she's a VTS with internal medicine. Um, she's going to be doing a lecture. Uh, Christine Weaver, she's got her VTS in neurology. So she's going to be doing a lecture. Uh, Sam Broman, if you went to our CE event, I think it was January, February this year, earlier this year, uh, she presented for the membership. She's got a ton of experience in internal medicine. She doesn't have her VTS yet, but, um, you never know. She's, she's a go-getter. She's, she's got, she's got things she's got going on. Um, she and I are doing a, a lecture together, which will be super fun. And then we'll have a happy hour just so that we can all get together and talk and there'll be prizes and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so yeah, I had eight hours of really cool CE going on. And if you would like to join, we do have two different prices. Uh, one is going to be for members. So if you're an internal medicine for a vet techs membership member, um, this one will be $49 for you. Um, and that will be for all eight hours of the CE. Uh, it is live, so if you need some CE hours, it's a great way to get some hours. If you are not a member, you are still more than welcome to the com to the conference. Um, it is $159 for uh, the full day, and you get the same CE everybody else does. Um, so, you know, you've got some options. If you decide to join um, as a member, just, you know, let me know and I'll make sure to get you the member price. Um, so just let me know if you sign up between now and then, and I don't have your information already, but yeah, I'm super excited to, to do it. And, uh, the link to get there, we'll have it on our website. We'll have it posted in like a bazillion places. It literally, the website went live, like, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes ago, something like that. <laughs> So if you go to imfpp.org slash conference 23, that will get you there. Um, if you are, if you follow our Zoom events page, it is now live on the Zoom events page. So you can always go to our Zoom events page and find it. If you go to our website, there's a bunch of ways to get there from the website, uh, you can go to earn CE with us. So internal medicine for vet techs.com earn CE with us, go to events and it'll be, it'll be there. We'll make sure to, we'll make sure to add it. You can also get to the zoom hub from there. Um, so there's, there's a bunch of ways to find it, but we'll also be posting all over our social media. Sorry. We'll just do it. Yeah. You, you should be able to find it. If you can't, email yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> and while I'll, I'll include it in the newsletter too, because I know it's we haven't been great about sending out too many emails. I know we, we send out about the podcast, but we haven't sent out about much of anything else. So I'll, I'll be nice and not spam you and give you the option to <laughs> not see any more conference emails. But 
Um, I just want to make sure if anybody wants to go that, that they find that information. Because mm-hmm. again, it's going to be Sunday, November 12th. Um, I'm just saying like Vet Tech Week is what, next week? Yeah. The next week? You can always- No, it's the week like, after. It's the week, it week after. after. Oh, it's two weeks from now. Um, that would be like a great present from your work to pay for some CE. Just saying, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, you know, that's how you do it. Make work pay for it, guys. Make work pay for it. Exactly. Um, and for our members who, you know, our members with the Internal Medicine for Vet Tech membership site, just be sure that when you uh, try to sign up for this, that you're using the same email address that you use to log in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just like any of our monthly CEs, you want to make sure that it's the right email address. And if you need to change it, just let us know and we can, we can fix it. So yeah, no problem. Uh, anyway, this week we're going to be diving into malignant hyperthermia. Um, yeah, it's a interesting disorder. I've seen it once. Have you, you know, I don't know if I've ever actually seen it. I think maybe when I was a baby tech, there was a possibility that I did see it and I, we just didn't recognize it, but I definitely haven't seen it like as a recognized thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it once as a recognized thing, but I can't think of any other cases that would have, that like appeared like that even, but I learned a bunch, obviously <laughs> doing these notes. Sometimes you don't see the signs. So yes, it's possible that you could have come across it and just not recognize the signs originally. Um, but what uh, malignant hyperthermia is, is it's a disorder that affects the skeletal muscle calcium regulation. Um, and it's usually a pharmacogenetic uh, disorder, which oh. kind of takes us off track a little bit because we are supposed to be talking about endocrine diseases. And while this kind of has to do with that, it's like barely, <laughs> like it's a genetic <laughs> disorder. <laughs> It's, it's not it's not endocrine <laughs> not really. you know it's just you know it's just this there. is what happens when you think it is and then when you start researching you're like oh no no has nothing to do with endocrine but oh well we're already we're already i mean it kind of does because it has to do with like calcium regulation but when you break it down it really is like it's related to you know pharmacokinetics and uh genes <laughs> so you know huh interesting all right i'm looking forward to hearing jordan pronounce these words that i see written down oh i know it's gonna it's (laughs) but and technically although it is like we consider it a disease it's not technically a disease it's you know one of those fabulous things that's considered really a clinical syndrome rather than an actual disease just Mm. because it really relies on like environmental factors as well as genetic factors and just pathophysiologic like events like it actually is quite it's not easy to do (laughs) it's no it's not easy to do but when it happens oh man let me tell you it happens (laughs) like jordan was probably like sweating while she was like doing these notes going ah (laughs) pretty much i'm because i'm just like it's like it's just one of those wonderful disorders that's like it's not there and then all of a sudden it's there and like it's like dic trying to like beat it to you know the finish line is like really tough (laughs) So anyway, 
So what malignant hyperthermia is, like I said, it, this is going to be a disease that affects the skeletal muscles. Um, and there's going to be animals that are going to be susceptible after exposure to like triggering events or triggering things. So in particular, like halogenated uh, anesthetics, inhaled anesthetics is like the big one that we know can cause malignant hyperthermia. So when you say halogenated inhalation anesthetics is that like specifically halogen or is it like iso and sevo and stuff do they fall into that as well i did it say anything about fluorine... that yes we're gonna talk about it <laughs> okay i was like wait a second what all right cool so i'll, I'll I keep mean, my like, i'll keep my pants on and yes let you and actually no. tell me like <laughs> the halogen like it's been obviously phased it's out for like, a reason yeah like, you yeah, know yeah but there's several countries that still use it quite a bit. So it's like, we're still seeing it. Mm. Um, there's also certain drugs, like drugs in particular that are responsible for like blocking neuromuscular issues. Stress or exercise can even contribute to leading to uh, malignant hyperthermia as well, which is, you know, no big deal. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what this is though, is they found that there was a, like truly a genetic mutation. So it's a mutation within the, Ryanodyne receptors or RYR1. Mm. And then here's the tricky one, right? All right. The dihydrophyridine. So I look at this and I go dihydropyridine. That sounds better than me trying to sound it out <laughs> in my head. Um, right? You're like, oh. But those receptors, and what they do is those receptors are responsible for like regulating calcium within the skeletal muscle right but again mm. there's going to be a mutation on the surface of these receptors so it just and does not work the way that it's supposed to exactly so right. what happens is with this mutation being on these receptors is that when like something is trying to trigger these receptors it actually results in like the body releasing a massive amount of uh, calcium within the cytoplasm of the myofibrils mm. And so what that means is like what happens from that is like there's like the skeletal muscle just like contracts, but like, like it's supposed to, but like a lot, like really a bad. Lot. Like it's, it's hyper contracting at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, like we'll, we'll kind of talk about like, what oh, we... it's kind of like, like I think of, um, like snail bait. Yeah. Like it just, it can't turn off. So they not, it's not a seizure, but it's like, but it is muscle like a tremor. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's almost, uh -huh. it's like, it's almost like a neurologic event, but it's like not like it's, it's weird. Um, hmm. But unfortunately, like when this happens with that, like excessive skeletal muscle contraction, it can lead to um, a hypermetabolic state. Right. And then oftentimes unfortunately that ends up being fatal for pets right um, and so fun facts here is there have been more than 400 ryr1 variants that have been identified and out of those 400 though 34 of those mutations have been confirmed to cause malignant hyperthermia so there's 34 different mutations that can yes. cause malignant hyperthermia Yes. That's crazy. That's crazy. Okay. All right. All right. Right. 
And then, so, like I said, we kind of touched on briefly, like that there can be triggering events. Well, I mean, it does take a triggering event usually like a dog's not gonna just spontaneously <laughs> like then it. all of a sudden it's just like oh I, I looked funny yeah no so it's gonna it's gonna be things like stress so like excitement um uh pre-anesthetic handling that visits transportation of any sort uh exercise like I said we talked about the halogenated um inhalation anesthetics so things like our halothane isofluorine sevofluorine and desfluorine so yes, all of those mm-hmm. can cause it, but when we think think about it, we're really looking like we're really thinking about the halothane, but they have tested I bet it's it. probably it probably has to do with like the concentration. You know how like your MAC value for halothane? I don't yeah. even know. It was, it was crazy. And then there's and then like a ISO and yeah. And then there's a specific drug too. It's a neuromuscular blocking drug and um would you like to say that word for me? the drug name uh succinylcholine that's what i got yep so that drug <laughs> has also been known to cause malignant hyperthermia as well or trigger it i mean at least um so halothane though like i said when we're looking at the inhalant anesthetics halothane is going to be considered like the most triggering agent that like can lead to malignant hyperthermia Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why like a, a lot of clinics and, and hospitals and things have kind of tried to replace that with other inhalation anesthetics. So isofluorine. I mean, I, that's probably one of the, um, 20 reasons to replace it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and then funny, like this disorder affects like various species, but like in humans and dogs in particular, because <laughs> like both of us, it's fine. you know, we, we got to talk about that because it's a, it's like a mutant gene. Right. And so this is a mutant autosomal gene that is dominant. So what that means mm. is that only one parent needs to carry this gene and that can result in like the offspring getting it. Um, but it's like a 50, 50 chance. <laughs> Of whether or not they'll like express it versus just being a carrier. That's interesting. Huh? Yep. So it's interesting. So this is an inherited disorder. Um, And like I said, we can see it in humans. We can see it in dogs. um, We can also see it in cats and horses, but pigs and humans really do seem to be the most susceptible, which like, I mean, great. Give me one more thing to worry about when I go into the doctor and have (laughs) surgery and stuff. But it's so funny. I think I remember when I was studying for my boards, like way back when something about the pigs being more susceptible to malignant hyperthermia. Oh yeah. That's, there was like That's funny. I I totally forgot about that until I just saw that and I was like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, there yeah. was quite the list of pig breeds on like those that are susceptible. <laughs> so It's a good thing we don't do that. Mm-mm. No, I know. We're, but... we're a small animal. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I almost left in some of the information about pigs and horses. I was like, "No, I'm going to confuse myself." <laughs> <laughs> right? But um in dogs, this gene tends to be associated with those breeds that are heavily muscled or very lean. And so uh, greyhounds is like the top breed that we generally see. This That's the breed that I saw it in was a greyhound. Um, but we can also see it in pointers, Labrador retrievers, St. Bernard's, Bichons, Golden Retrievers, Springer Spaniels, Border Collies, um, you know, all those like high strung, like working breeds. And, like... Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I don't. 
don't remember what mine was. I just remember it being like that size, like lab golden. Yeah, like a, just a larger breed dog. Yeah, mine yeah. was definitely a greyhound. It was it was such a shame. Mine was like um the sweetest client ever. I like oh, I knew no. this client for years. She came to my wedding and like yeah. I went and trimmed her dog's toenails and thankfully like I mean like I, not that I want to wish that on any other tech but because I had such a close relationship with this client like I didn't do her dental and like the dog passed away during a dental oh no and so I was like I mean again I don't wish that on the other tech who was performing the dental but I was just like grateful that it wasn't me and that I could just support <laughs> the client yeah <laughs> like, oh, she, she was fantastic though she was such a like like she was a greyhound master too. So she was like, yeah, I, I've read of this disease before. <laughs> like, you know, like there's nothing anybody could have done really. Yeah. I'm guessing. Like she... Well, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Yeah, There are things <laughs> that we can do. <laughs> I was like, well, let me, let me keep my mouth shut for a second. Right. <laughs> so unfortunately though, malignant hyperthermia, like I said, it can be triggered by pretty much any type of event, but it can occur at any time during anesthesia or even in the post-operative phases. Um, hmm early post-operative phases but like you know at any point that those drugs are in the system like these dogs can uh it can trigger, trigger a malignant hyperthermia yeah. event and yeah. so usually at first signs are very subtle to mild um and then what they consider like a full like critical episode those do tend to be like less common um and it's pretty unclear in like dogs and cats in particular, whether like it needs like whether the pets need multiple exposures to like a triggering agent um, before they develop a full blown critical episode or if it's just like if it can be just like a one triggering event kind of type of thing. I hope that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. And then but like the reason why it's also like unclear and uncertain as to whether it takes like multiple exposures is because the clinical signs really can be so subtle at first that they usually do go unrecognized. Um, and so oftentimes malignant hyperthermia really isn't diagnosed until severe clinical signs develop, which again, really, really sucks because then it's a chasing game and it's so hard to come back from. But ironically enough, and I think this is like the big kicker is despite the name, right? Malignant hyperthermia just means like the pet's getting hot, right? Fevers. Patients can remain normothermic um, even though their muscles are contracting like crazy. And so usually the severe episodes are going to be characterized by like a super sudden and a very dramatic rise in body temperature as well as they're gonna, we're gonna see a rise in partial pressure of end tidal CO2, so ETCO2. And then from there, we can start seeing things like um, muscle fas uh, fasciculation. <laughs> Man, I'm talking is hard today. Um, we can see tachypnea, tachycardia, muscle rigidity, right? Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. We can mm -hmm. see arrhythmias. Then, of course, again, kind of moving further along into severe clinical signs, we can see things like myoglobinuria, we can see metabolic acidosis, and then you can see renal failure and death often does occur in these guys. Yeah, once you get to that, all that, it's, it's not great at all. Yeah, no, once you reach those severe clinical signs, like prognosis is generally usually like really poor. So that's an unfortunate conversation for the doctors. Um, 
Sorry, docs. But <laughs> yeah, not our part. Thank God. But like don't I said, as technicians, though, we can see like initial signs. So again, we're going to be looking out for things like a sudden rise in body temperature. We're going to be keeping a really close eye out for a rapid rise in ETCO2. Um, and then again, yeah. that muscle rigidity, tachycardia, things like that. Those are the things that we really can watch for. Um, mm. Like I said, elevation in body temperature can occur and is usually easy to recognize because it's a pretty substantial elevation, but that's generally a late sign of malignant hyperthermia, which is unfortunate. Right. Because that means like, it's kind of like a seat, like when you think of seizures, right? Yeah. Like if you stop the seizures before we get overheated, it's better than if they've been seizuring long enough that you're overheating. I mean, that's essentially what's happening is like all the muscles are tremoring, which causes that temperature rise. Yeah. Um, So that rise in way early. Yeah. That rise in entitled CO2 is going to be probably your first indicator just because like with everything going on with the muscle stimulation and stuff, there's going to be an increase in CO2 production. And so that's going to occur much sooner than an increase in body temperature is going to occur. Yeah. And this is like normal respiration, right? But your end tidal CO2 is like skyrocketing versus like if you've got something that's hypoventilating, like, okay, that, that makes sense that your end tidal CO2 is going to go up, but like they're panting um, and their end tidal CO2 is high. Like it's not, it's not a good combo. It's weird. Yep. Um, There was some interesting cases in cats, like not a lot, but there's some interesting cases in cats. So there's one report of a cat, a female cat, actually, that was um, anesthetized with halothane. And so that cat actually didn't develop clinical signs, though, until about 50 minutes after induction, which is wild. (laughs) And then that cat developed uh, bradycardia, cardiac arrhythmias, hypotension, and then tachypnea occurred. And then, of course, later the hyperthermia set in. And that cat ended up going. Which is only 1058. Like, it's not, like, it's not 108. You know what I mean? Like, 1058 is not no, an you, insanely it's like, high temperature. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's definitely not, like, it's I mean, obviously normal. we all know that it's not, <laughs> it's not normal. Um and then that cat ended up uh, going into cardiac arrest once that temperature Ugh. hit the 105.8. And then the other case, um, because like, so what they're trying to do with these cases is they're trying to see like which anesthetic really does right, seem to be yeah. triggering the event. But of course, like it's happening with most of them. So the other mm. cat was a neutered male, domestic short hair. And same thing, signs really didn't occur until like late into the procedure. Um, and this pet was induced, um, induced or on, uh, isoflurane. And so mm. they started to notice an increased heart rate, increased respiratory rate, increased entitled CO2. And then that this body like temperature two hours after induction. Yeah. yeah it's wild. Crap. So those signs, yes, yeah, started around 110 minutes into the, well, after induction to 175 minutes after induction. And so this cat's body temperature, unfortunately, rose to 108.5 degrees. So the outcome on that was also poor. <laughs> yeah. 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 I would say so- your differentials for this one is just like, if you've got a small patient, like overheating them, 
making sure, you know, they're not getting light and that's why they're breathing fast, you know, or too deep. And that's why you've got low end tidal CO2, but it's like, you really have to look at the full picture, right? In anesthesia, if you're going to have an increase in entitled CO2, it's because your patient's getting too deep, mm-hmm. which also usually means slowed respiration, slowed heart rate versus this sense is because they're holding into like ho- holding on to more CO2 exactly. within their body. And so, yep. But this is, this is the opposite. This is, you've got a patient whose metabolic rate is skyrocketing basically, mm-hmm. right? Like everything in the body needs energy. So it's consuming a ton of oxygen. It's releasing a ton of CO2. So the heart rate's up um, and our our respiration rate is up. So it's like, you can't just say, oh, I see a high-end tidal CO2. No, no, no. You have to look at the full picture on these patients. Um, and that's that's why you monitor really closely. Mm-hmm. And including temperature, (laughs) I've worked for several vet clinics where we didn't monitor temperature, including the Greyhound that I did come across that developed malignant hyperthermia. And mind you, I know I said that the temperature really doesn't rise until like kind of late into this disease process, but we should still be monitoring it. Just brief, quick soapbox. But again, I've done it before (laughs) for sure. I definitely worked in those clinics. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I have, I have as well, but now that now that Once I you know, know better, better you do better. Dang it. <laughs> exactly. So there have been laboratory tests that have been developed to kind of identify those animals that might be susceptible. Um, although because like in the moment, like things happen so rapidly, they don't generally use, they're not really useful in diagnosing malignant hyperthermia, like when there's a sudden crisis. <laughs> right. I guess this would be one of those cases where like, if you know someone in the family, like lineage, yeah, either died of it or, you know, tested for it previously, I guess that's when you would proactively test for it. Yeah. I mean, like breeders could test for it in like those susceptible breeds, like greyhounds and things. But like, again, it's not, it's, it's not pretty very rare. well. It, yeah. It's not like well known and like, Yes, there are things that can be done. Like if you do know the pet has this genetic mutation um, to kind of help just be aware and be cautious. But like, again, like I can hardly get clients to test for like those diseases that we do know. (laughs) Right. Oh, you mean just baseline testing? What? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. So um, a definitive diagnosis really can only be obtained by like in vitro contractor test and DNA analysis. So what that means is like, it's a test based on like muscle fiber contraction in response to triggering events uh, or triggering agents really such as like caffeine or halothane. Like they, they test Hmm. the muscle fibers to see how they respond to these things. Um, it does require a surgical procedure. So a muscle biopsy. And so it can be a little expensive and tends to only be available at specialized testing centers. And because like, you know, it's just one of those tests, like some results can really be like, I, you can get false positives. You can get false negatives. Things can be equal. Like it can be kind of difficult to interpret. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so the DNA analysis really is like an alternative to this muscle biopsy test. And so that requires just a small blood sample. Um, and that's going to screen for the RYR1 mutation. And so... It, so that so that one's hard because that won't differentiate if you're a carrier or if you're expressing it. It'll exactly. just let you know if it's there. Pretty much. Ooh, okay. So that's why they do say that the IVCT, so the in vitro right. contractor test, is really going to be like the thing. I guess that- like I I guess like before you do that, you can always do the DNA analysis first. Yeah. And just be like, do I even have the gene? And then if I do have the gene and I'm concerned, do the do the muscle test to just be like, okay. Yeah. Am I a carrier or will I <laughs> have this problem? Exactly. Exactly. Crazy. And so unfortunately though, like even like if we do get a chance to try to treat these pets, like malignant hyperthermia do, does tend to be fatal just because again, it's just trying to catch that runaway train. It's very difficult because signs are so subtle at first. Um, yeah. There is a drug called dantrolene. Um, and that is a ryanodine receptor antagonist. And so that has been proven effective for treatment um, and for prophylaxis. There's two different formulations available, but I've never worked with this medication before. So it's like, I never even heard of it. I mean, because it happens in humans, I'm assuming that the, like, you could probably get this at like a specialty, like us, you could probably get it at a hospital. Like, but I doubt you could actually really get it at like a pharmacy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, and so certain anesthetics and that neuromuscular drug that we kind of touched on at the very beginning should be avoided if we know patients might be susceptible. And so oftentimes in those patients, I know, I saw your look too. I'm like, woo. Um, and so this so, is like when you're doing, so, wow, that's not great options. Like you can't do inhale the anesthesia. No. So, you're so have they to like rely on total IV anesthesia. So Tiva, yep. um, and I'm and things like locals and stuff like that. I'm sure you know, but dang, yeah. And then of course too, like just trying to keep animals calm, right? Like they're already in a stressful situation. We want to try to minimize stress. Um, we want to <laughs> try to help. Li- I mean, like the unfortunate thing is we kind of got to limit what we can give, but we know that we can use IV mm-hmm. anesthetics and a multimodal approach but also just trying to minimize stress. Like it's, it's wild to me that like just stress alone can like send these guys in a tizzy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it may kind of make sense in my head. Like I think of it being like this weird, like fight or flight problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like your your body's primed to go. So you're like a little bit of stress and it's like, ah, my muscles are just going to freak out. Oh, yeah, it doesn't sound great. Um, they no. did do like studies, like just trying to see like what medications could be used in potentially susceptible animals. And so, it luckily, actually looks there's... like there's a lot of like yeah. normal drugs. <laughs> there's quite the long list of drugs that have not been associated with malignant hyperthermia. And so, things like our uh, phenothiazines, um, 
benzodiazepines, so or diazepam, midazolam, um, alpha agonists, yeah, opioids, uh, ketamine, propofol. Yep, I like it. Local yeah, anesthetics. So- okay, so you got some options. All right, cool, cool. Definitely some options like, yeah, lidocaine and bupivacaine are all fine. Um, but really like treatment itself, like is going mm. to be highly focused on just like the symptoms. So things like discontinuing the inhalation anesthetic, using ice pad, uh, ice packs to kind of cool pads down, controlled ventilation um, that is ideally flushed, flushed free of anesthetic agents. So if you have an anesthetic machine or just straight oxygen that hasn't had anesthetic mixed in with it, that, that would, would be, be ideal to try to like switch the patient to that instead. Mm. But otherwise you're just going to be sitting there flushing that machine for a hot minute in order to make sure that you can get them fresh oxygen. Yeah. I mean, if you could, the other option, I mean, not that this would be great, but like you could use an ambu bag. Yep. Exactly. You know, like it's not ideal, but like if you don't have a clean anesthetic machine, like you can always use an ambu bag because you're ventilating them and trying to get, and you want to use your entitled CO2 with it, right? So whether yep. that's the Emma or the inline and just making sure you're trying to get rid of that CO2. Um, yep. So oof. other symptoms that can be treated, I mean, like we're, we're going to treat the symptoms again, not really the malignant hyperthermia, unless we have oof. access to that dantrolene. dantrolene. Um, that can be administered to affected animals, but otherwise we're going to be looking at things like lidocaine to help control cardiac arrhythmias. We're going to do calcium gluconate, uh, I'm sorry, calcium gluconate and calcium chloride are actually contraindicated in these guys. So do not, these guys already have like excessive too much calcium. calcium. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> so we want to try to avoid calcium chloride, calcium gluconate, including lactated ringer solution that has added calcium in it. That shouldn't be used. Mm. Um, So again, that might be one of those situations too, where you're kind of like, oh crap, let me disconnect these fluids. Let me disconnect this anesthetic agent. Like, you know, it's like, you might be like, I've used lactator ringers in so many patients. Like, I know, right? um, Our hyperkalemia can be treated with like our dextrose solutions or insulin um, because we really want to try to promote movement of extracellular potassium into cells. Sodium bicarbonate can help to maintain normal blood pH when the pets are ultimately battling metabolic acidosis. And then um, other fluid options that we can use instead of lactated ringers would be like 5% dextrose in water. So D5W, normal saline solutions are also obviously going to be acceptable. I was going to say D5W is going to be great because then you can actually use like an insulin CRI at that point too. Yeah. Cause yeah, to drive that potassium in. Yeah. D5W would be great to like, just, it, it, it has like a combo effect on like yeah. the symptoms. <gasps> and then, oh my God. Course, and then you're going to send somebody to like the nearest emergency room to see if you can buy dantrolene because nobody else is going to have it. Yeah. I bet you that human emergency, like human emergency room, not human emergency. Yeah. Not veterinary. Cause I, can guarantee dantrolene is not carried in veterinary hospitals no there's no way maybe in some of the university settings maybe yeah but or big greyhound towns maybe 
<laughs> in Florida. Like all the all the hospitals in Florida have Greyhound Dantrolene. Or at least they used to. I guess not anymore. <laughs> That's but. true. They're in the South now where all those um, parks are that have the parasites that are now yeah. problems. That was a good callback. Thank you. You're welcome. You should check yeah. out Jordan's or- article about parasites and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. those dang greyhounds get everything. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in these guys, we also should be doing like additional testing because like they are at risk for things like DIC just because that body temperature is going to exceed a certain amount and it's going, we're going to see severe muscle damage. We're going to see uh, renal failure possibly. And like I said, we're going to see oh. some coagulation issues potentially which is those high temperatures. And then these guys really should be extremely closely monitored for 48 to 72 hours because up to 25% of these guys can actually like redevelop this. And so that would be <sighs> so fortunate. Could you, Matt? Oh my God, I would be pissed. I'd be pissed. if. I like... mean, there's so much stress happening to that body. I would not be surprised that unfortunately it could get re-triggered. No, I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised. Ooh. I would just be upset if I could, like, if we could pull a patient back from malignant hyperthermia and then just for it to reoccur again within 24 to 48 hours, like, what? What? I mean, Ugh. like, I get it. I would just be mad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That would be. It's like, it's kind of like when you That'd do CPR. That would be so right? disheartening. Like, yeah. It's like when you oh do God, CPR. It's totally like when you do CPR. And then you bring them back and you're like, oh my God. And then you like get that like sad, like, oh shoot. Next day update. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, like, dying overnight. You're like, dang it. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. It's it's such an interesting disorder. Um, but it's I don't so wish crazy it on anybody. When I, yeah, no, it's crazy because when I was a baby tech and like I heard of malignant hyperthermia, I don't think at any point anybody said it was genetic. It was a genetic mutation. No. I don't That's think so I got crazy. that because it was like I don't, we don't know why it happens, and it was like and oh great, and so I just assumed everything could get it. <laughs> yeah, well, according to like it looks like a lot of research has been done since you and I went to tech school. So, like, <sighs> are you calling me old, Jordan? I'm calling us both old. <sighs> I mean, I'll take it. I've been doing this a long time. Dang it. Yeah, it's been a hot minute for sure. So. Anyway, that's my uh, take on malignant hyperthermia. I hope you all learned something because I sure as hell learned quite a bit. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Huh. It's an interesting disorder. Yeah. I would love to know if anybody's ever used detronidine. Det- Is that what it's called? <laughs> Did I just make up Dantrolene? a name for drug? Dantrolene. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. It's not detrotoline. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, I guess, I mean, it could be if you're pronouncing. No, no, Why? I just named that. Up. No, no. Dantrolene looks, that looks like Dantrolene. It does not look like Detrotoline. <laughs> well, well, I mean, yeah, there was, you had an extra syllable in there, but yeah, like, like hecka extra syllables in there. Let's see uh, what the Is it used for like. anything else? Uh, You know, actually, it's really not that expensive i wonder if it's used for something else i'm sure it has to be it's a it's a muscle relaxer it reduces spasms cramping and tight muscles caused by certain medical problems such as multiple sclerosis 
cerebral um, palsy stroke and injury to the spine ouch uh yeah it does say used for spasticity (laughs) that's a hard word spasticity it's well i guess it's way more common than we thought which makes sense i mean ultimately (laughs) so that's good i like how we're like it's probably five million (laughs) dollars i bet you the injectable is hard to come by probably because it does come in injectable um yeah interesting and i want to say when i was reading about it the inject like they just recently made a more concentrated injectable because like before you were having to give like 20 mils like i think to someone and now i think they made them in like five ml bottles interesting yeah huh so anyway um that's all i got guys i hope everybody has a wonderful fantastic week and yeah and if i see you in colorado because i'll be in colorado this coming weekend i promise to feel better by then because that is like three days away um because i'm going to the colorado vet tech and assistant association conference which it looks it looks really cool um it'll be in i think it's grand junction so i'll be there saturday and then come home and then the following saturday we fly out and i get to see jordan live in person at hive which is exciting this week or this month is kind of crazy just saying just a little yeah but all right guys i hope everybody keeps getting their learn on um keep an eye out for some of our conference information let us know if you have any questions keep an eye out for yvonne at actual conferences and (laughs) me at the one that i'm going to and i I think there's only two more this year fine and then i get a two-month break i'm so looking forward to it jordan yay (laughs) all right guys we will talk with you guys next week Bye. bye Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.